If you try to use faith for things that involve the flesh, then you will reap corruption no matter how much people try to manipulate God's word, no matter what they want to think. The only way that true faith will render a person its true value is by using it for what it was designed for, for the eternal, for Jesus Christ. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and his truth with the world. In today's message, we'll be talking about eternity and that it should be the thing that really matters to us the most. All things in this life are temporary and illusionary. Nothing in this material world will survive the inevitable, that all these things will come to an end at some point. There is nothing eternal here and now except Jesus Christ and what he has to offer mankind. And so, although the things of this age may seem dire and critical and important at the moment, the truth is that eternity should be the only thing that really matters to us. Today's message is inspired on the book of Acts, chapter 12, verses 1 to 24. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, Mighty God, the one who was and is and is to come. Lord, we praise you and we worship you. We exalt you, O Lord God, for you are worthy. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, my God, Heavenly Father, we need you. Every moment of our lives, we're nothing without you, O Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you may please forgive my sins and my wrongs. All the things, Lord God, that I understand that are wrong and the things that are not yet clear to me. Heavenly Father, I come humbly before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord God, to ask for your guidance, to ask that you may speak to our hearts and to our minds through your word, through your Holy Spirit, O God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, glorify your name in all things. Help us, O Lord, to be able to be focused on the things that you want us to focus. I give you thanks and I praise you, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's key passage is from the book of Acts, chapter 12, verses 1 to 24. This is the word of the Lord. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, a brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound to two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first, and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. 
And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And when he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there, now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus, the king's personal aid, their friend. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them, and the people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. There are three people in this portion of scripture that we would like to look at. We would like to look and talk about Herod and James and Peter. The first one is Herod. We read that Herod was evil until the end. He never understood God's ways. He was in part a people pleaser. But of course, he looked to please those in the majority and or of great influence. And at that time, there were affluent or powerful people that were not fans of Christianity. This newer faith in Christ was a problem to them. Those were the people that Herod looked to please. But Herod, in his sinful ways, got involved with sin that was more problematic than other sin. And his life was finally cut short and in such a way that he was made an example because of the sin he had gotten entangled with. God is very jealous of his glory. If there is a sin that is detrimental to men, it's trying to take away God's glory, which is what Herod tried to do. We should never take credit for God's actions nor attempt to put ourselves in his place in any kind of way, and yet many do, and all of the time, and they mistake God's mercy for weakness or non-existence. This is what ended Herod's life so violently. Now we could deduce that Herod may have lived a life of opulence as royalty, as a person in power. He may have had the opportunity to enjoy many worldly things. He may have seemed to do whatever he wanted to, but his end was not good. And I can guarantee you that the same Herod right now is not in a good place, completely separated from the presence of God, reserved for judgment, just waiting for his final eternal sentence. That's Herod. Now, moving on to James and Peter. Why did James die and yet Peter was miraculously freed? Why is there a difference between the two? Did James do something wrong? Did he not have enough faith and that's why things turned out for him the way they did? And to get to our answers, we must always look to the Bible. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 to 40, where it says, 
and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And so we read that some people in history were successful from a worldly position because of faith, yet others not so. We read of people that were able to experience great things, according to popular opinion, because of their faith, but others not so much. And quite frankly, others experience terrible things, things that even cost them their lives and in horrible ways. Why the difference? Are we talking about the same faith? What kind of faith are we talking about here? The faith that God teaches is very different to what others teach. God's faith is not earthbound. That's the very first and most important aspect related to godly faith. People try to adapt godly faith to gaining earthly success or worldly things. But that is not what godly faith is about. That is not why the faith of some worked differently to the faith of others. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19 tells us this, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Why does it say that? Because godly faith may sometimes lead you down a path that is not favorable in this temporary world. That's the fear that many people have in following the Lord. And that's why true faith in Christ is not attractive to most people. Some people may look at what happened to those other people that were faithful to God and say, I don't think I want to go down that path because it doesn't look so pretty. We just read in Hebrews that faith brought some people temporary victories, but we also read that dreadful things happened to some people because of this faith. We just read that some were tortured, some were not delivered, some experienced mockings and scourgings, some were chained and imprisoned, some were stoned, some were sawn in two, others were slain by the sword, others wandered the earth, and so on. All things unpleasant and undesirable to most, if not to all people. That's why if we rely on faith in Christ just for earthly things, and that's it, it would be a very senseless faith. What's the point of suffering or enduring hardship if there is no reward after, no eternal prize. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 to 16 tells us this, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
And so we see clearly that true faith in God, biblical faith, involves putting our sight on heavenly things, on eternal things, on the things that transcend this temporary and imperfect world. If we understand what the Bible teaches, we must then understand that no matter what happens here on earth, our faith must be set on the eternal. That is true faith. That is biblical faith. If we look at Peter for a moment, tradition teaches us that Peter was also killed for his faith in Christ. He died crucified upside down. And so Peter may have been miraculously freed from prison at one point and seen the work of angels, but Peter did not end so well physically or from a humanistic point of view either. Temporary things cannot be the goal of true faith. Attempting to use and or apply godly faith to the temporary world, quite frankly, defeats the purpose. A person can try to do that, and they might think that it is working for them. But there is a spiritual law that is being overlooked when trying to use godly faith for earthly things. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 tells us very plainly this spiritual law where it says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is an unbreakable law as a law that it is. If you try to use faith for things that involve the flesh, then you will reap corruption no matter how much people try to manipulate God's word, no matter what they want to think. The only way that true faith will render a person its true value is by using it for what it was designed for, for the eternal, for Jesus Christ. True faith is having our eyes set on Jesus and looking to do his will on earth. Therefore, in order to have true eternal gain, we must adopt godly faith as it was intended for and focus only on what really matters in the grand scheme of things. Eternity is the only thing that really matters. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21 tells us this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Earthly things are temporary. Everything that we see here, including you and me, will one day go away. Money will go away. Power will go away. Human relationships will also vanish. Nothing that is earthly will remain or continue to exist God will even make a new heaven and a new earth someday. So even this world and everything in it will cease to exist as we know it. Everything in this temporary life is just that, temporary. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer compares our lives here to a race, and as we all know, in order for a race to mean anything, you must enter it, you must run it, and you must finish it. That's the whole process of a race. And of course, a race is run because there is a prize at the end, a reward. It's not about running senselessly or pointlessly. There is a great point to this race because there is great and worthy goal in the end. It's not an easy race, as we have all read. There are problems that may arise. There are things that may happen that may be unpleasant or difficult. And that hardship will try our faith, our desire to keep running the race. 
we will surely be tempted to abandon the race by continually being tempted to look for our temporary welfare. But the Bible tells us that we must endure and overcome the temptation to abandon our faith in Christ. James chapter 1, verse 12 gives us this promise. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here the scriptures are mentioning a temptation, a singular or single kind of temptation. The temptation mentioned here involves abandoning faith in Christ. It involves giving up on Jesus. It ultimately involves going back to the way things were before Christ came into the picture, if you will, of a person's life. But when a person stays the course and remains in this faith of loving the Lord above all things, including setting aside their own personal carnal well-being, then and only then will a person receive this crown of life that the Lord has promised. It doesn't happen any other way. Loving the Lord above all things is the only way to gain eternity and immortality. The Word of God gives us this very critical point on how to make everything count for our own good, even those things that seem difficult and unpleasant. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. When we love the Lord above all things, which is the fulfillment of the very first commandment, then no matter what happens in our lives, every single event or circumstance will be for our eternal benefit. Jesus said this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, I'm sure this sounds extreme to most of you, and especially to those people who have little to no knowledge about the things of God. But think about it this way. Who do we owe everything to, including everything good in our lives? Who allows you to exist and survive on this earth? And who has given you the opportunity for immortality? Every single thing depends on the Lord God Almighty. And so, if it were not for Him, you could not even exist and at least of all have any kind of hope for eternity. Before Christ, there was no hope for salvation. Our destiny was hell. But the Lord broke that destiny and has now opened the door for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life and eternal reward. Through Jesus Christ, we can now live forever. And so considering all of these things, it is only fair to give him first place and to love him because he first loved us. And so if you truly understand what God is trying to tell you here and what he did for us, then you will understand that eternity and everything that leads to that are the only things that truly matter while passing this very temporary window of existence. To be able to understand the true value of God's salvation, of the eternity He promises those that love Him, it is necessary to draw lines and comparisons related to time. I don't know if you ever noticed that it feels first like forever when you hope for a long-awaited occasion or a special moment to come. And then when the moment arrives, it feels like it just speeds by. It almost happens like at a blink of an eye, or at least that's the way it feels. Have you ever noticed that suppose happy times go very quickly and then they turn into a distant memory in, in a matter of moments? 
The Bible also teaches us this life can be a fleeting moment, that one day it's here and the next it's gone. Let's say a person lives a long life, like 80 or 90 years. What does 80 or 90 years mean compared to 100 years or 500 years or even a millennium? And how about forever? If you compare the years of a person may live here to eternity, there really is no competition, right? There really is nothing to compare. That is why a very logical and rational person will always see eternity as being more valuable than the here and now, than this temporary world. That is the whole point to this message, to bear in mind that eternity should be the most valuable thing to us, ultimately following Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. And so, if we truly understand that reality, then eternity is what should really matter to us most. Let us pray. Lord God, King of the universe, blessed Lord, help us, O Lord, to be mindful of, of a reality that there is an eternity. There is something that is after all of this that we see with our eyes and experience with our senses. Heavenly Father, there's something greater. There is something that is different. There's something that is truly special that will last always that is after all of this. Heavenly Father, help us not to be so focused on the here and now. Help us, O Lord, that we don't make our our, our our end-all, be-all, this temporary and useless world. But help us, O Lord, to be able to set our eyes on you, on Jesus Christ, on what you have done for us, and to be able to put our lives in your hands, to be able to look to do your will, to do the things that you want us to do. Because those things, O Lord, ultimately are life. They're eternal life. That's the only way that we will be able to see eternity is through you, by fulfilling your will, by doing those things, Lord God, that you teach us through your word. Help us to understand that reality, Lord God. Help us to understand the reality that the here and now will at some point disappear and that all that is left will be you and your kingdom and your glory. Help us, O oh Lord, to strive for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.